Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, we are continuing today in our series we've entitled Insomnia, What Keeps You Awake at Night? And for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at all of these different things that cause um, stress and tension and pressure and anxiety in our lives and, and what Scripture has to say about some of these things. And so we've looked at, um, the, among other things, we've looked at um, the fear of the future, just that uncertainty of the future and, and how that can kind of keep you up at night. Um, unresolved conflict, broken relationships that haven't been restored. Um, we've talked about decision-making and how sometimes you get to that crossroads and you don't even know how do you make those decisions. And they keep you up at night. And, of course, last week we talked about finances, um, which is definitely one uh, that keeps us up at night. This morning I want to take a look at one that you probably haven't even considered. Um, but it's there. In fact, it probably underscores every one of those others. It's called shame. You think, well, I don't stay awake at night. It's shame. But if you think about it, you do. When it comes to your finances, a lot of the times what really bothers you is, is the shame of, of all that amassed credit card debt. And this feelings of shame that, you know, I should have better control over my finances. I don't want everybody, anybody ever know how badly in debt I am. When it comes to relationships, sometimes we feel this shame about this not being able to let go. I should be over this by now. You know, why is it so hard to forgive? I just, I feel shame about this. Or, or even the shame of having to admit when you've done wrong. When it comes to your decision making, I think there's a little bit of shame there from bad decisions that you've made in the past, and you wonder, can they ever be made right? Or maybe just at this point of decision, not having clear direction, and just feeling ashamed, like I ought to have my life together right now. Or thinking about the future, and there's a little bit of shame that comes with that, or lack of planning, or, or lack of goals, or just the whole uncertainty of it all. Shame comes down to feelings and thoughts like, I just don't measure up. And it's not so much of my badness, it's more my not good enoughness. <laughs> that there's just kind of this disappointment with myself, maybe even a little bit of mild disgust. The thoughts and the feelings that come to your mind, you know, if people really saw the real me, they wouldn't want anything to do with me. They saw the thoughts that go on in my head. My, if anybody knew the real me, I wouldn't have any friends. And it's like this this anchor that just weighs on our soul. And if you've ever had any of those kinds of thoughts or any of those kinds of feelings, what you've experienced is shame. And it can weigh you down. But there's hope. And there is healing for shame. And it's found in the power of grace. And this morning we're going to look at probably one of the, if not the most famous of all of Jesus' stories, Probably, in my mind, the most powerful, the most moving story of all the ones that he told. It's found in Luke chapter 15. I know in your outline there, that little handout, it says Luke 12. That's what happens when you cut and paste, okay? (laughs) It's Luke 15. Uh, So if you want to open up your Bibles, if you have one of those that are on the seat next to you, it's page 1035. And uh, you're probably familiar with the story. Younger brother goes to his father, says, I want my my share of the inheritance now. Give it to me. And his father does, uh, which is surprising. And he goes off and he squanders it all. Just squanders it all. It's all lost. He, things get so bad that he hits rock bottom. And he ends up 
feeding pigs. And we're going to pick up the story um, in verse 16 of chapter 15. It says he would, things were so bad that he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Now we're going to stop right there. Uh, We're going to leave him in the pigsty for a little while. Because I want to talk about what it is that gets you there and how do you get out of that predicament. Because that's what this story is all about. This story is about shame and the power of grace to overcome shame. He is hit rock bottom. And in that position of absolute shame, he begins to think a new thought. And it's about grace. The healing power of grace. See, grace heals us by by starting with just those whispers, those whispers that we get at our lowest points of God's goodness. Because the shame often starts with guilt. It's, it's, it's the result of things that we have done. Bad things. And the guilt that comes with that. This story begins with a young son. The younger son coming to his father and saying, in essence, what he's saying to his dad is, I don't want to wait till you. I wish you were dead now so I could have your inheritance. That's in essence what he's asking for. And so he demands his share. And what's unbelievable, which would never happen, never happen. This is why the story is just kind of shocking to everybody who's listening to this. Because what his father does is he actually gives him his share of the inheritance. Now understand, okay, this wasn't a matter of just going down to the bank. Okay, they didn't have banks. They didn't have stocks and bonds. This was, assets were held together by property and livestock. So, so for the son to come and demand, this is going to take time to liquidate the assets. And what happens is that the father now, he's going to have to sell this stuff and he's going to sell it on short notice. And you know what happens when you've got to sell something on short notice? You don't get the best price for it. And this is a fairly small village. So as he's doing this, the whole village now knows what's going on. And they can't believe it. This is an incredible thing. The father is, is selling off property, property that has been in the family for years. Livestock, livestock that they have, they have built this herd of cattle. They have, they've raised this herd of sheep. This is, he's, he's liquidating his assets. That takes time. And the whole village begins to know what's going on. It is embarrassing to his father. Any father in this room knows how much your identity gets tied to your kids. And when they turn out well, you are so proud. And when they make those mistakes, you are so embarrassed. My earliest remembrances of feelings of shame go all the way back like 14, 15 years to junior high school. Seventh grade English. When the whole class was caught cheating. And when I say the whole class, I mean the whole class, which means me. And what happened was that the teacher let the students correct papers. So what you did was when it came time to correct the papers and went over the answers to the test or, or whatever, you would hand the paper to the person in front of you and he would correct like this. Well, it doesn't take long for kids to figure out. Ooh. And sure enough, the whole class figured this out. We were giving each other A's and B's, you know, and then, and then when the teacher started recording the grades because you had to read off what you got, you know, and he goes, 85%, 90%, 90%. Wait, something's wrong here. And the whole class was caught 
cheating. And of course, that meant to conference with all of our parents. And there was a meeting where all the moms and dads came. And the teacher laid it all out. And what he did was he gave everybody in the class an incomplete for the quarter. And the only way out of this was now you were going to have to work your tail off because you had an incomplete. And by the time the semester ended, you were going to have to bring that grade up and get a regal grade. And I remember even after the solution was figured out, the shame that I carried with me for my parents and for myself, it's just it's one of those things that just like, even though, you know, I knew there was still a chance, there were feelings of shame. And what's going on here is this is embarrassing to the father. This is, this is shame on the whole family, his doing this. And here's what happens with shame. What it send, tends to do is it tends to catch us in this downward spiral. And bad decisions follow bad decisions. And worse decisions go on from there. Because the ways that we tend to, to cope with our shame, the way that we try to cope with our shame is a number of ways. Either we run and hide and hope nobody finds out. Or in some strange way, we tend to kind of over, almost indulge in it. And so because if we indulge in it and we hang around with other people who do these things, well, then it's not so bad. It's just kind of normal. Everybody's doing it. The truth is, down inside, we know better. And this shame starts to pull us down. This man, this son, through a series of bad choices, ends up losing everything that his father and his family have spent years trying to build up. And in a very short time, he has lost it all. And he has hit rock bottom. He's run away from home because it's shame that he's brought on his family. He goes and he squanders it all, loses everything that his family has tried to accumulate over the years. And here he is feeding pigs, which nothing could be more shameful for a young Jewish man than to be feeding pigs because they're unclean. And that's where he is. And things are so bad that it says he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him everything. You know, I, I used to think about that, that he was eating what the pigs were eating. But the, the thing is, what the pigs were eating was something his stomach could not digest. It says he, it doesn't say he ate it. He longed to fill his stomach, with, but he didn't even get that. He is literally starving to death. This famine has come on the land, and now he is, because of his own stupid choices and a downturn in the economy, now he is at rock bottom. And all of those feelings of shame, shame for the shame he's brought on his father, on his family, shame for, for now what he's doing. For, I mean, this is worse than flipping burgers, you know, McDonald's, when you're 40 years old, this is worse than that. He is rock bottom. Shame about his job, shame about all that he has squandered, shame over his whole life. And in the midst of his shame, in the midst of his shame, there's this whisper of grace. It says in verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. There's this whisper of grace, but it's not in him. The grace is found in the character of his father. He's got nothing else to count on, but what he remembers is he remembers his father, and he knows the character of his father. His father is wise. 
His father is a good planner. His father has business savvy and business sense. His father takes care of his employees. His father is good. His father is generous. And no matter how much of a mess I have made of my life, at least I know my father is a good man. And he cares for those. So I may not be worthy to be his son anymore, but I know that he is good and he is generous. And what he ends up doing literally is he is staking his life on the character of his dad. He has no idea what to expect. But he decides he's going to head home. And he is counting on and he is hoping for and he is, he is praying that somehow that father's goodness, that father's generosity is going to somehow transfer to him. And he doesn't know what he's going to find. He doesn't know yet. He doesn't know. But he's about to find out. Because if you skip to verse 20, here's the father's heart. It says, while he sees his son still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. That's the father. He is counting on, he is relying, he is staking his life on his father's goodness. And what he finds is not just goodness, but his father's compassion. And sometimes it's in the midst of our shame that grace just begins to whisper to us, there is a God who loves you. It's a God who is compassionate. Maybe, just maybe, maybe there's a place for me there. Grace always begins with God. Always begins with God. The gracious, loving, compassionate God. But there's something else about grace that has tremendous healing power. The grace also assures us of our own worth. Of our own worth in God's eyes. See, it's, it's, there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt usually has to do with what we have done. It's the bad choices we have made. The bad behavior that we've indulged in. That's guilt. What, what shame is, it's a little deeper. It, the roots go deeper because they really go to who we are. And sometimes it's hard to distinguish between the two. But the difference is guilt is about what we've done. Shame is what we carry for how we see ourselves as we are. It's the labels that we put on ourselves. It's, 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 it's the belief, I can't believe that I am the type of person that would do such a thing. And so we put labels, or other people put labels on us. Labels like liar, cheat, drunk, adulterer, thief, addict, damaged goods. They're the labels. Because it's not just what we've done. We carry it like it's who we are. And there is feelings of hopelessness that come with that because the feeling is I'm never really going to change. Who am I trying to kid? This is is who I am. I'm a hopeless case. And shame is the enemy's tool. It is the most powerful tool in his arsenal. Because if he can tempt you to do something wrong, what he follows right on the heels of that is, see, this is who you are. How can you possibly think You have any worth. You are scum. You are worthless. But there's a beautiful irony to shame. Because in the middle of that, there's still something deep within us that says, but this is not the person I was meant to be. 
with all of those feelings of guilt and shame that I carry with me, there's something deep inside me that says, but this is not who God created me to be. There is a different person inside of me. I don't see him. I don't understand him. I can't find him maybe, but I know, I know this is not the person I am meant to be. And that is the, the whisper of grace. Because see, only a son could ever think of returning. There's still a son down there under all that pig filth. There's a son. And so he decides to send home, send, set, set for home. Uh, Robert Frost, Frost said, home is the place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in. <laughs> but that's not necessarily so, certainly not necessarily so in first century Jewish culture. In fact, in fact, as he's heading home, there is actually a ceremony. And, and, and when, when someone has gone and squandered their wealth or squandered their money or squandered their inheritance among the Gentiles to have left their village and then to lo- have lost everything among the Gentiles, that cut you off from the village. And there was actually a ceremony where upon his return that he was, he was ready for it. And the ceremony was the elders of the village would come out and meet them at the entrance to the, the village. You weren't even allowed into the village. And they would come out with a big clay pot and they would throw it down on the ground and dash it to pieces. And what it said was, in this village, you don't belong. It was, it was called, the ceremony is called Kezezah. Kezezah literally means cut off. And by throwing this pot down and breaking it to shards and all these pieces scattered around, they were saying, you have broken community. You have broken trust. You have broken your father's heart. You are not a part of us anymore. You have broken with us and you are no longer welcome here. This is not your home. And that's what he's expecting as he makes his way back to the village. A village that will say to him, you have no part in us. You don't belong here. This is not your home. But that's not how the father sees him. You read the story. And it says, when his father saw him, he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. You see, you ever thought about why does the father run? You ever thought about that? Why is he running? Because the father is running to make sure that he is the first one to his son. He doesn't want the village to see his son coming. He doesn't want to see the village elders come out there with the broken pot. He has to get to his son first because he is saying, no kizazah, not for my son. It's not going to happen. And what he does, and really what would be considered a shameful act, Because you see elders in the village, older men in the village, established men in the village, they wear long robes. And you don't run. You walk. You walk in a stately manner. You walk like you walked when you were a senior in high school. You remember that walk? All those little sophomores, juniors, and freshmen. (laughs) That's how you walk when you're established in the village with robes. And to be able to run in a robe, he has to gather it up in the front and bare his legs and run like a servant boy 
And that is shameful. But he runs, runs. In fact, Luke picks a very interesting word. It's actually a technical word. It means he sprinted. He raced. He did the 50-yard dash to get there before the village did. Because what he saw, what he saw in his son was not someone who was broken and needed to be cast out. What he saw was his son. And that's the healing power of grace. And it's based in God's goodness, but it's because he sees great worth in you, in me. And he runs. See, this isn't really just a story. This isn't a story about a prodigal son. And it really isn't a story about an elder brother, although those are key characters. This is a story of a God who runs. And ultimately what grace does, it restores our intended identity. It brings us to who we were meant to be. See, the son, as he sits in the pigsty, he has made up a speech that he is going to say. He's got it all planned out as he comes back. He knows what he has to say. He is begging, begging for a chance to start over again. And so he comes back, but he never finishes the sentence. He never gets to finish the speech. Because if you look in verse 19, the last part of that speech is, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. But that last sentence he never gets to say. Compare it with verse 21. He never finishes the speech. Now that's something really, really important because there were two different types of slaves. There were the doulos, which were actually considered members of the household. They were slaves, but they were actually cared for by the owner. They were actually almost considered a part of the family. Not fully, but, but they were under that household roof and they were cared for as family. There's another, and the word that's used here is mystheos. And it's a different type of slave. It is the day laborer. It's the guy that stands out on the street corner in front of Home Depot to hopefully make some money for the day. It's the guy who has no guarantee of any income. It's also the guy who has to earn his own way. And the son is coming back, and he's got a plan. You see, his plan is, and this is part of the Kezazah ceremony, the only way you could get back into the village was you had to go and earn everything that you had lost and pay it back to your father, pay it back to the village, pay it back to whoever it was owed, and then, then you would be restored. His plan is the earning plan. I'm going to go back, and I can't be a part of the household, but I'm going to Pay back every penny. I'm going to earn whatever it takes. I'm going to earn it all back. Now, in that position, you are never going to earn enough. You are never going to earn enough. What you have lost will never be able to be repaid. But see, he's thinking, this is my plan. This is the only shot I got. I'm going to come back and I'm going to earn and I'm going to pay back every single penny. That's his plan. But that's not the father's plan. Father's plan is altogether different. His father's plan is grace. Because see, what the son doesn't understand, he doesn't quite get it yet. The problem was not the money. The money was not the issue. The sin wasn't about the issue. Stuff can get back. We can get stuff back. What he didn't understand is what he did was he broke his father's heart. And that you can't pay back. You can't pay back. And so he comes back to the village 
with the earning plan. And what he finds instead is his father's grace. His father runs to him. His father embraces him. His father kisses him with all of that pig filth. And I don't know if you've ever been to a pig farm. I have. I mean, if you think farms stink, go to a pig farm. <laughs> go to the county fair. Go to the state fair and just hang out in the livestock area. You get a, a, just a whiff <laughs> of kind of what it smells like. And he's been right there in the middle of it with all the pigs. And he is covered in pig filth. And I mean filth. And his clothes are torn and ragged because that's the only, pair, only set of clothes he's had. He's lost everything else. This is it. Torn, tattered, muddy, filthy, stinking, smelling, beard just overgrown and scraggly, hair a mess. And his father hugs him and kisses him. Not once, not twice. He kisses him over and over and over again through all that filth. He is, and what the father is doing This is so powerful. Not only did he take on the shame by taking up his robes and burying his legs and running, he is embracing the shame of his son. He is embracing him. And he is taking, because all of that gunk and all that filth and all that crud is now on the father. Now it's his filth too. Now it's a picture of Jesus who came out of his comfort in his home to our filth and he took it on himself. And not only does he embrace him, but he fully restores him. Sometimes I've read this and I get the picture that the father has interrupted the speech. But I wonder, and Ken Bailey makes this point in his book. He says, maybe it's not that he's interrupted. Maybe it's that the son is so overwhelmed. And so stunned by the love of his father that he's got nothing left to say. How do you answer such tremendous love and compassion? And what his father does is he grabs him and he fully restores him. He says, bring out the best robe and put it on him. That would have been the father's robe, by the way, to cover his filth. And put the ring on his finger. The ring was a restoration to family, to authority. With the signet ring, you did business. It's almost like giving power of attorney. How would a father do such a thing with a son who has so squandered everything? Put the ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet because slaves go barefoot. Sons do not. And what he has done is he has fully restored his son And he says, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And he declares that in front of this whole village that wants to write him off and cast him away. And what he has done is he has left no doubt. He has made him his son once again. And that is the picture of the healing power of grace. John the Apostle writes it this way in his letter. How great is the love of the Father. It's lavished on us that we should be called 
children of God. And that is what we are. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. Oh,